0: Thank you, Brad, very much. Thank you to all the Rejoice folks for a good week and then for helping tonight, too. That's great. We're very grateful for all of that. We turn to Proverbs tonight, and we're going to, for the sake of your July attention span, so much going on, I'm tired, long day, one verse, just one verse. And the reason we're looking at this one verse is because it is, well, let's put it this way. I have a lot of verses I really like about prayer sort of favorite verses that have been meaningful to me in my life as I have struggled to learn to pray more. I'm not the greatest prayer in the world. I I wish I prayed more than I do. I want to pray more. This verse makes me pray more. But there's some other great verses too. Luke 18.1 is one of my very favorites. It says, Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times, people ought to pray and not lose heart. Pray, lose heart. Pray, lose heart. I'd rather pray, but I'm super tempted to lose heart. I better pray. And then Jesus told the parable about the unjust judge that wasn't moved at all by this widow's plight. Didn't care, but she just kept coming, kept coming. And so he finally, he gave, he relented. He gave her justice. Another one of my favorite prayers after being so frustrated that I wasn't getting it right early in my Christian life, I learned that acrostic acts, A-C-T-S, and I was told, this is how you should pray. You should pray with adoration, and then you should move to confession, and then you should uh, move to thanksgiving, and finally, you should move to supplication. So uh, adoration, A, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, S, supplication, that's how you pray. And I would get all twisted up uh, trying to, I'm not on track here. Lord, I really, I really need to talk. Oh, wait, wait I got to get the right order here. And I would get really frustrated that I had to have these rules by which to pray, this this format to pray. And then I found Psalm 62, verse 8, which says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Just pour out your heart. You don't have to do it right exactly. Just pour out your heart. That was very liberating, very helpful. I love that verse on prayer. Um, other great verses in the Old Testament, <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat, yes, that's a real name, that's a real king in Israel back in the day, Jehoshaphat, jumping Jehoshaphat as he's been called also, uh, Jehoshaphat was facing armies from all sides, three massive armies and all he could do was pray and this is what he prayed, Lord, we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. Don't have a clue what to do, but we're looking to you. We're trusting you to get us through this, to give victory, to give us out of here, to do whatever needs doing. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then one more that's been really, really helpful. In fact, we've uh, got the, um, the address of the church in North Carolina that I served. We were building on new land, and you, they said, you can pick the address anywhere you want uh, out here. It needs to be in the 3700 block. And I heard this sermon by John Piper uh, right before that, and it was a great sermon just on Isaiah thirty-seven twenty-one, and all he's, he's, he's talking about the power of prayer for missions. And he said, "This is what the Lord said to Isaiah, or in Isaiah, you go tell Hezekiah the king that's praying. You go tell him this, because you have prayed to me. This is what I'm going to do." against Sennacherib, this great Assyrian leader. I'm gonna wipe out his whole army here at Jerusalem. He is not gonna take this city. I know he's taken all the other cities along the way. He is not taking this city because you have prayed to me. And you think, well, God would have done it anyway if I hadn't prayed, I wouldn't test that. God said, because you prayed to me, you do not have because you do not ask. So that'll motivate you to pray too, right? But we're not preaching on any of those tonight because we're in the series on Proverbs and we're going to preach on my favorite, most motivating verse in the book of the Bible, but definitely in the book of Proverbs. And that is Proverbs 15 verse 8. I'm going to read it in the ESV because that's the Bible that we have in the pews, and I'll have some discussion about whether that translation is the best, discussion, uh, best translation in the midst of this, not in any way disparaging God's word. I am totally committed to God's word, but we know that it's inspired and infallible in the original documents, so the original Hebrew is inspired. The translations are doing the best they can, and they're a lot better than I am. It's a group of people trying to figure this out, and I understand kind of where they're coming from. But I'm going to go with a different translation that I first learned this in. Not because I like it more. Well, we'll come to that in a minute. Proverbs 15:8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, would you please teach us something about Proverbs from this meditation we have together tonight and something about prayer, not just to expand our knowledge base, but to move our hard and cold hearts to come running into your presence and to pray to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, who has opened the way for us. Amen. The title of this homily is Proverbial Prayer, and that uh, is really designed to show that it's about Proverbs, proverbial, but it's also about prayer. But my hope is, is that by understanding what this verse is really saying, we'll understand something about how to unpack other Proverbs as well. A proverb being my definition, not really anybody else, but pulling together all the different things I've read about Proverbs. A proverb is a pact. It's just a lot stuck into a little bitty living space, as the genie says in Latin. So it's packed, pithy, which is kind of the same thing. I like that word, though, pithy. A packed, pithy, and therefore powerful picture painted through the technique of parallelism. It is a packed, pithy, powerful picture painted with parallelism. Now, parallelism is a poetic technique that was the most important poetic technique in all of Israel. We see it all through Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the poetry books of the Old Testament. And what parallelism is, is that you get these short, pithy stayings, like we've encountered a lot in Proverbs 10 through 31, and there's one line, and then there's another line under it. And the parallelism is designed to help us learn something through compare and contrast. And we need to know sometimes whether this is a compare thing or is this a contrast thing. The conjunction but often will tell us it's a, it's a, it's a contrast thing, but not always. We got to be careful and look at that. But by these two lines being juxtaposed together, we get a very vivid and concrete word picture in our heads or vivid not a word picture and through the words a picture is created and it's very concrete but it enlightens something that's very abstract and that's the case with this particular proverb so i want to teach us something about proverbs and then something about prayer that'll be the end result that we're pushing toward but in order to learn that truth about prayer we need to go through the proverb so you can do this at home easily if you decide you want to this verse really is interesting it's really good just write it out tomorrow morning, tonight before you go to bed or whatever, write out the prayer, the first line, the second line, and then circle the words that seem to go together. And there are six words that go together, but that, if I said I have about six points, you would freak out. So I'm gonna just say, there are three pairs of words that go together. So just three points, that's not that hard. And these three points would be, look at it again with me now, 15, eight. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. The prayer of the upright is acceptable to the Lord. Sacrifice and prayer are parallel. Wicked, upright are parallel. Abomination and acceptable are parallel. So what's the point of the parallelism? What are we trying to get to that's going to change our hearts, change our lives? Well, let's look at the first pair, sacrifice of the wicked, prayer of that. So leave out the wicked part, just sacrifice and prayer. Is there a big difference between those two, a big contrast? Is this antithetical parallelism? You know, there's sacrifice, but prayer, one better than the other? Not really. They're both part of worship. And yet, and yet, there is a little bit of a contrast here because that first word, sacrifice, is more outward. You can see somebody make a sacrifice. You can smell it. You can hear it when that animal is going berserk before it's getting slain in order to have its blood shed in order to make a sacrifice. It's very visible. It's right out there. A prayer can be outward. You can hear the Pharisees. Jesus talks about this. In Matthew 23, but also in the Sermon on the Mount, they make a big show of their prayers on the, in the street corners and everywhere. And so you can see them making a big show of prayer. It's outward. But prayer that Jesus calls us to is prayer that's offered in our closets, in our innermost room. It's prayer to our Father who sees in secret. And our Father who sees in secret will reward us for our prayers. So don't try to get your praise from human beings now. Try to get your praise from communing with God privately So there is a distinction here. Sacrifice, more outward. Prayer, more inward, or should be more inward. In fact, the Old Testament and the New Testament are full of God saying, look, who asked you to do all of this folderol sacrifice? You've got so many traditions that you've added to the basic requirements that I gave you in the law of Moses. Where did all this come from? Why do you burden me with all of these fast days and these extra things? You think you're gaining Credit by doing above and beyond the call of duty? You're getting extra credit? You're not getting extra. I, just do this. This is what pleases me. But no, no, no. They added all of these accretions of religious observance, and God wasn't for that. He wanted the inward. Bruce Waltke, in his very good commentary on Proverbs, very lengthy pro- uh, commentary on Proverbs, says that um, the sacrifices that were being offered were being offered with everything except the one thing that God wanted the heart. And it's in this same uh, passage that that word heart is mentioned in the previous section, verse 7 of uh, chapter 15 of Proverbs. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. Not so the hearts of fools. He's going to the heart, going to the interior, going to the core of a person to talk about the heart. That's what God really wants in our worship. Whether it's outward and offering sacrifices or whether it's inward, He wants our hearts. Well, the next pair uh, of, of words that we come to, sacrifice, prayer, sacrifice of the wicked, prayer of the upright, wicked, upright. The first pair is contrasting the external and the internal worship of God. The second pair is contrasting those against and those for. God. For the very definition of that word, wicked, it's a common word. It's used all through Proverbs. It's used in other places in the Old Testament. Well, we have a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. And the wicked are really defined in relation to the righteous. They are against. They're against everything that God wants. In fact, in the theological um, word book of the Old Testament, in trying to understand better what's involved in this word, wicked... Uh, We read this. Eighty times, this word for wicked is placed in antithetic parallelism with the righteous. Wicked and righteous. As we have here, although a slightly different word for righteous, upright, but same basic idea. Um, Commonly, they're in contrast to one another. Eighty times in the Old Testament, they're in contrast to one another, in antithetical parallelism. Forty of those eighty times are in the book of Proverbs. The wicked, the righteous. And this is what the theological word book of the Old Testament says about that. It is in this contrast that we get the clearest profile of this wicked kind of person. It is used, that word is used in parallel with almost every Hebrew word for sin, evil, and iniquity. Whatever is contrary to God, that's what the wicked want to do. They may not do it Outwardly, they may not let you know that's why they're doing what they're doing. There may be very much passive, aggressive behavior going on here, but that's really what they're doing. They want my will be done, not God's will be done. And that's what makes them wicked. They are against what God is for. The upright, on the other hand, are those who are literally, perhaps, upright. Sometimes that word is used of a straight path, like straight down that middle aisle. It's very straight, you're going straight ahead but it's also used ethically of straight living according to what is right. And so those who live according to what is right by God's standard, then they are the upright. They're standing upright. It's all right angles here. It's all straight, narrow, clear. I'm going to do what God wants, not what I want, not what the wicked want, not what the nations around want, not what the world wants. I'm going to do what God wants. So very clear contrast there, obviously antithetical parallelism between the wicked and the upright. And you can describe that um, antithesis between against or for. All right, so now we come to that third word pair. And that word pair, again, you can lay it out and write it out yourself later, but you can also just look at your copy of the scriptures now and see the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him abomination acceptable. That word abomination is a very powerful word. That's where we get our vivid picture in this proverb. It's one that we can all relate to. It gets a visceral reaction to us. If we understand what God means by an abomination, it's a word that's, um, used frequently in the old Testament. And it's a word that, uh, Is used frequently in Proverbs. 22 times in Proverbs, that Hebrew word, every one of those times, it is translated abomination. It is a word that means essentially um, disgust, loathsome. God loathes this behavior. It can be used in various and different senses. One sense, however, the one we have here is ritual. God, going through the ritual without the heart being involved, God regards as an abomination to him. That is not what I want. That is not what I asked of you. Bring your whole self or forget about it, according to Santana years ago, a lot of years ago. Anyway, uh, bring your heart or forget about it. If your heart's not involved, then it's not the kind of worship that God wants. He wants it to be all of us and offered to him joyfully, willingly. If that's not the case, then that ritual Worship is an abomination to him. It can also be used uh, of particular actions. And those actions in Proverbs, for example, are lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 20 verse 10. Uh, the lying lips one was Proverbs 12 verse 22. Proverbs 20 verse, uh, 20 verse 23, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. So what's an abomination to the Lord? Certain acts, not just ritual worship going through, but ethical use of that word abomination. Lying, he, he does not like it. Cheating, he does not like it. He is against it completely. Sexual perversion, also in that ethical list from um, Leviticus chapter 18, well. Someone a man who lies with a man as one lies with a woman is an abomination to the Lord. So homosexual behavior is disgusting to God. It's not the people aren't disgusting to God. He's not disgusted with people. He's disgusted with the behavior. He loves the people. He wants them to change. He does that with all the wicked. Let the wicked forsake his way, let the unrighteous person for forsake their wicked thoughts and let them turn to the Lord that he may have abundant pardon for them. But they either will or they won't. But God says that that action is contrary to my design for human beings. It's a perversion. It's a, a declension from the norm. It's, it's an abomination. So there are some um, acts and these acts uh, could be ritual, could be ethical, could also be habitual. And they become what the wicked person does all the time. The wicked person becomes these things. Proverbs fifteen nine, the very next verse and in, in our list there also uses the word. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves the one who pursues righteousness. Verse 26, same chapter, Proverbs um, 15. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure in Proverbs 16, 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not be unpunished. Arrogance, pride of heart, the, just the habitual way of a person can be an abomination to the Lord. So we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. We need to turn away from our wicked ways that what is wicked in act does not become wicked in character. It becomes our very habit. It's habitually who we are. But ultimately, I think we find with this word abomination that it refers, it has a spiritual sense. And we see that in 2 Kings chapter um, 23 and verse 14. uh, Verse 13, sorry. The king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, And for Hamash, the abomination of Moab. And for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. These false gods were called abominations because from these false gods and the false worship that they engendered, all kinds of disgusting practices were taken on in Canaan. And it was because of those disgusting uh, practices that God said the land would vomit them out. said it was vivid, right? It's a vivid picture. It's a picture of vomit. How does God feel about lying, cheating? It disgusts him. It makes him sick. Oh, I'm going to stay far away from that. Yes, you are if you're upright. But if you're wicked, if you're just against everything God stands for, then maybe you'll be like that person that talked um, to me once about a child that didn't share um, that parent's faith. And as an adult, that child did pretty much anything he could just to poke at it, just to kind of, I know you'll hate this mom, I know, and just poke at it. That's not good. That's, not, that's against God, and it's an abomination to him. Um, and so we learn from the Leviticus 18, especially, not only that specific abominational practice, abomin- abominable practice, but beyond that, we learn that you shall not lie with any animal, so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall a woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It's a perversion. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Leviticus chapter 18, um, verse... 21 through 25. That's an abomination. The contrast is acceptable to him, but I don't think that's the best translation here. It's a word that's used again frequently um, in Proverbs, uh, a word that often means delight. It can be translated accepted. It can refer to God's favor, please or pleases his will, his desire all those are used in different times to translate this word 56 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. But the New American Standard Bible follows the King James Bible, which is followed in turn by the New Revised Standard version of the Bible, and all going with a different word for is acceptable to him. Because it just sounds like Okay, well, that's acceptable. Okay, pray. Yeah, that's okay. I'm not going to get mad at you for praying. I am going to get mad at you for offering this abominable sacrifice, but I'm not going to get, that's acceptable. That just doesn't sound personal. It doesn't sound like the heart is involved in it. And I don't think it captures what we see all through the rest of these um, verses that are much more delightful. Psalm fifty-one sixteen is an example. David's praying to the Lord. He says, for you do not delight in sacrifice. You do not delight in sacrifice. That's not your ultimate goal, what you want. Otherwise, I would give it. You take no pleasure in burnt offerings. And that's repeated by the prophets. It's repeated by um, 1 Samuel 15, 20. I desire obedience, not sacrifice. In Hosea 6, 6, which Jesus quoted so many times, go learn what this means, that I desire mercy rather than sacrifice. It's the heart I want. It's the love I want. I want to see that in you. So I don't think acceptable is the greatest translation right there. I'm going to go with the new American standard and with the King James and with the new RSV here and say the word is delight. This is the way I learned it. This is the way it motivates me so much. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. He loves it. He loves to hear from you. I don't mean you have to pray out loud. Oh, he can hear your prayers that are silent. But he he just loves to hear from you. Really? I have a hard time believing that. I really do. I think I discuss God probably, I don't know about more often, but way too often, I think I discuss God rather than he's delighted with me. You may struggle with that too. I'm here to tell you not what, don't do as I do, do as I say, based on this verse and so many others. The Lord delights in his chosen ones. Isaiah 42 and verse one. My elect in whom my soul delights. Do not despise the discipline of the Lord. Proverbs chapter three, 11 and 12. But think of the discipline of the Lord as the discipline of a father, the son, in whom he delights. He just wants to hear from his children. He wants you to come and pour out your heart before him. He wants you to do that because the good news is our disgusting uh, practices have been forgiven in Christ. Christ took all of that junk on himself on the cross and washed us clean so that we can approach this holy God, not cautiously and cringingly, but just run to our heavenly father, lifting up our hands, saying, pick me up. I need help. And he will. So it's a proverbial prayer because uh, the only proverbial prayer I could think of is the one you don't have. You know, you don't have a prayer. You don't have a prayer right now. Of course, that made me think of a song that you're thinking of, maybe if you're a really old-timer in Memphis. Put on my blue suede shoes and boarded the plane. Touchdown down in the land of the Delta Blues in the middle of the pouring rain. They've got catfish on the table. This is Mark Cone, 1991, walking in Memphis. They've got gospel in the air. And Reverend Green, be glad to see you when you haven't got a prayer. But you've got a prayer in Memphis. That's what I want us to remember tonight. And words fail, as we often say now. I can't get that through to you through words. I am so glad that our Lord Jesus knew how much trouble we had with words. I'm going to show you. And on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, took the cup, said, this is how much I love you. I'm going to give my body for you. I'm going to shed my blood for you because I love you. And I want you to know my father in the way that I know my father, that you will delight in him as he delights in you. If you thought that the best thing I could ever do for God, the one thing that would please God more than anything else I could do for him tonight is just to talk to him. Wouldn't you want to do that? As opposed to now you got to pray seven times a day. So check it off before you go to bed tonight. You got to pray. No, you pray tonight because you can't believe that he loves you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you so open our eyes, open our taste buds, open our touch and help us as we handle this bread and this cup to recognize that you delight in our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.